You're listening to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, episode 410. My name is Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we reach the halfway point of Joss Whedon's HBO Max creation, The Nevers. And uh, sorry for my little uh, pre-air rant about... Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's how you got to let it out, man. Let it out. Oh, my God. Well, what I was telling Wayne about... CNN, and I'm sure the other networks do the same. They bring on the experts, and of course, everybody's remote these days. You've got a PhD in this. You were you know, a four-star general. You were whatever, and you don't take the time to get a decent internet connection so that you're not freezing and drop... Ah, anyway, drives me crazy. So uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, how's your week going so far? Well, the the one day of it we've got done has gone pretty well. It's kind of a crappy day out, but in, I don't want us to get back to it talking about weather. But it was it was pretty, you know, it was not a great day uh, weather wise. So it kind of puts everyone in a little. Everyone's like kind of a little bum mood, even though from my room, as you know, because it used to be your room. Uh, I have absolutely zero idea of what it's like outside. There could be a nuclear holocaust out there, and. I wouldn't have the slightest idea, except maybe this faint whiff of uranium I might get in in that part of the building. So, um, but yeah, going good. Busy weekend, lots of driving around and stuff. Which actually, I, I in probably in the past have complained a lot about that, but now you just kind of appreciate it a little bit more. You know, I appreciate having a, a full Google Calendar as opposed to those all those months where there was nothing in the Google Calendar. Yeah, and for those of you that are not familiar with Maryland weather, yesterday Wayne at his children's sporting events, I assume, and the the yeah, temperature was I got, pu- I got a little bit of sunburn yesterday. Temperature was pushing ninety today, sixty five. Yeah, and if that, if that, right. So, uh, all right, uh, what are you watching this week? Anything new? So, yeah, uh, I've not finished it, but I've probably, I guess, maybe halfway through about. Uh, the new season of Love, Death, and Robots, which I know I told, I know I talked about it before. I don't know if you've ever watched it yet. I watched some of the first season. I didn't see them all, but as I understand it, you don't really have to watch them in any kind of order. No, no, not at all. Because each each you know you know animated short is its own story, its own thing. So um, yeah, I guess. I don't even know if there's, I guess there's probably some kind of thematic link maybe that is between, but certainly doesn't require you to watch them in any kind of order or anything. You watch one anytime you want. But it is enjoyable. The um, the animation, for the most part, is top notch. The first one of season two, well, the animation was maybe a little too weird for me. Like people with their heads were just, their heads were super big. Like inordinately big compared to their bodies. I don't know. It was still a. It was a very funny, a uh, uh, film, but uh, I don't know. So anyway, partway through it, and it's uh, it's pretty good. Um, otherwise, still bad batching it. Mighty Ducks, pretty much all the other stuff I've been talking about before. Cool. All right. Um, I know I've mentioned in the past Van Helsing on Sci Fi Channel and. I, before this year, I had been writing weekly reviews of the episodes and really loved the show. I I got on board with season one when it premiered and and I've covered the first four seasons. We are now in season five, which is the final season of the show. 
And, you know, one of the things about reviewing stuff for Den of Geek, somebody like me, I, I get paid by the story. So if you want me to watch the whole season, you know, I pretty much need to be able to write a story for each episode. Otherwise, what are you telling me? I got to watch 13 episodes and, and I'm going to write two stories. It's not cost effective for me. Too much time and not enough money. So that my editor knows that he says, well, because everything's data driven, that Van Helsing, not only does it not bring in a whole lot of viewers for sci-fi, it doesn't bring in a ton of hits on Den of Geek website, uh, apparently. So he's like, all right, well, we'll do the premiere and the finale. And then how about two episodes in between? So I'm like, okay, fine. You know, I'm going to watch the show anyway. I've come this far. I want to know how it ends. Okay. So the premiere wasn't too bad Uh, you know time travel i'm always on board for that now one thing you have to keep in mind is the main star of the show was absent the second half of season four we are now well i've watched the first seven episodes Uh, only six have aired i'm sorry if this is a spoiler no i guess by this time well comes out right seven episodes of this season she's still a no-show so I, you know, when I interviewed the showrunner maybe a year or so ago, I, I kind of brought up that fact. Of course, I didn't know she was going to miss the first half of this season as well. And he's like, well, the show's called Van Helsing. It's not called Vanessa Van Helsing. Okay, uh, whatever. <laughs> but, uh, dude, the show's a train wreck. I mean, Is I want to like it. I, I'm, I'm glad I'm not reviewing it at this point because I, I really would – find it difficult to to find a lot of positive things to say and i want to like it but anyway so if you're like right i mean if you're like me and you've come this far you're going to watch the end of season five because you want to know how it's all going to turn out but yeah or like with with the hundred i just i still haven't even gone back to it yet well, I still haven't seen all of the last season, and I really have no desire to do so. Oh, I see. Now, this is like night and day. You know, the, the, the last season of The 100 versus the last season of Van Helsing, it's like the Ravens against Westminster Elementary School. Oh, well, I don't know. Westbrook Elementary School had a pretty good team last year. They did. They did. Good point. But uh, <laughs> all right. Anyway, well, enough complaining on my end. Let's get to some. Yeah, you've, you've been, you got a little salt in you today, Dave. I know. I know. Let's get to episode three, season one of The Nevers, titled Ignition, written by Kevin Lau, who was the story editor for a show that you have talked about on numerous occasions, Lovecraft Country. directed by David Semmel, who directed a boatload of Buffy episodes, a couple of Man in the High Castle, Star Trek Discovery, Heroes, Watchmen. So he's done a lot of single and double episodes of a lot of shows that we really like. This one aired April 25th, 2021. So I guess we'll do what we usually do and kind of jump all around with this one. But, I mean, one of the things that, that keeps popping up is the notion of Amalia's mission with the girls of the orphanage. Or is there a mission that doesn't necessarily include them? Uh, any thoughts yet what this mission is? I mean, it, it's got to be more than simply protecting them because what are you going to do? Get behind the walls and that's it? Well, 
that that's the thing, right? That that's the thing that Mary is struggling with is like, what is the point of this? And it's only when she sees the other side, right, that she's able to to kind of be on board with Amalia, right? Because she doesn't know if what Amalia is doing is right or good or anything. But once the uh, the lady who kidnapped the Italian girl, once they hear her speak. I hate to use the word speak her truth because usually when we say that, we mean it in a good way. I should say speak the truth because she's compelled to. You know, she sees what they're up against and what the dark side of this is and that there are forces out there to kill them. And then Amalia, despite not necessarily being having a, 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 a great kind of plan, at least her goal is to help and to save the touched and not kill them right and you know as you mentioned mary says to amalia i'm not sure that girls should be coming here because you know i've seen a lot of things i don't like and there's that scene with penance and amalia and bonfire annie when uh, Annie and Amalia start fighting and, and, and Penance is like, hey, wait a minute, this isn't what we talked about. And, and Amalia's like, no, 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 this is our language. <laughs> and it, it's funny, but it's painfully not funny as well. So, um, you know, and then we get that later scene with, with the, the doctor where he basically, I don't want to say reads Amalia the riot act about penance and her role in all this but you're a soldier she's not you're putting in her into situations she has no business being in and i guess as we get to the end of this episode i I think we come to the conclusion that penance and the other girls don't have a choice anymore you all are soldiers now whether you want to be or not right yeah like you said they they can't just hide behind the walls of of the nursery i mean They've already been violated when the police came in, right? So they're not 100% safe there. They, they, there are forces out there that are, are actively working against them, and you know they need to be able to defend themselves. You're right. You know, and the funeral is totally brings that idea home, right? That there are none of them safe. Yeah, I mean, obviously Mary's death changes everything, but more to the point, how is it going to change and affect amalia is vengeance gonna be her buzzword now at this point it certainly wouldn't surprise me i I said funeral didn't i I didn't mean when when mary gets killed it wasn't a funeral i'm sure that's coming up but but uh yeah but no so but yeah you're you're right sorry sorry to interrupt you now now the other thing we talked about last week the fact that malady and amalia have a history together and you know we 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 got some feedback this week that we'll we'll talk about that that addresses something that again i think it was me that brought it up about amalia and and malady and you know malady's killing sprees that that she is killing doctors not necessarily uh, the touched and psychiatrists Exactly. Specifically doctors that address the head, not the body. And, you know, Malady even brings that up, you know, in this episode when she's being treated by the doctor. But Amalia says 
something in this episode about her relationship with Malady that sort of implies that they met in an asylum and that Amalia was being institutionalized at one point as well. Right. Well, she said straight up that they, they called her crazy. I can't remember the exact quote, but whatever, you know, basically after her turn, she began, I guess, began acting differently or saying things differently that then, you know, caused her to be considered crazy. And so, you know, then obviously we make the connection. Well, she probably met Sarah at the you know, time uh, in, in an asylum or in a hospital. Um, but the thing is that Amalia doesn't remember Sarah as well as Sarah remembers her. And that apparently Amalia did something that obviously Sarah is very, very upset about. Um, but all of these things are shrouded. Right. Well, I'm assuming what Malady is so upset about and the reason she has such a vivid memory of what actually happened and Amalia doesn't is that Amalia abandoned her there, that somehow Amalia was able to escape because even if these doctors were not performing experiments a, uh, a la Dr. Haig, we know what mental health treatment was like in the late 19th century. It was certainly not anything like it is today in 2021 and, and the way it's been for you know, decades. So, you know, these individuals were, were still treated really rather poorly at that mm-hmm. point. So uh, the fact that Amalia saw an opening apparently and took it, leaving Sarah behind, on the one hand, you understand. On the other hand, you understand malady feeling the way she does and right or i mean like because we do see sarah getting taken to the the hospital right getting put into the ambulance so did molly call those you know were they maybe not in the asylum together but they knew each other in the real world and did the molly then you know like call the hospital and have her come get sarah yeah, well, I'm I'm going to go with the fact that they met in the hospital, yeah, that's both as patients. Likely. But uh, but then the other thing in this episode, you look around and it seems everybody's running from their past. Frank, Mary, and Hugo ha- have a little triangle going, even though Mary may not be aware of it, but apparently she was aware of it, and and whether or not she was aware that Frank's uh, liaison was with Hugo or just another man. We don't know that, but, but apparently Frank and Hugo had a thing and and his whole thing, I was blind drunk. And as Hugo says, after he's walked out the door, you were drunk the first time. Okay, fine. And Mary, you know, again, I think we have to say very ahead of her time because she's so understanding I guess we're led to believe that's why she didn't show up for the wedding because she knew, as Hugo says, you know, she'd never be able to give you what you want, but she still considers Frank a friend. And, you know, there's still that bond between them. And and we get that, that really touching scene when he tells her, I want to hear you sing, even though I won't be able to hear you. I just want to be there. 
and you know pretty pretty meaningful and and i guess it kind of sets us up for the horror that we then witness you know 30 seconds later after she begins singing yeah that was that was that was tough to take and right. completely out of nowhere yeah um you know a couple of things about hugo's empire come up in this episode and augie is told that you're the owner dude and he's like, oh, wait a minute, you know, we haven't signed the papers. Oh, yeah, we have. Well, we learn, of course, that <laughs> the papers haven't been signed, but Hugo sends his, uh, I guess, number one off to get that done in a hurry. And, you know, we learned last week, and, and I guess we assume it's true, that Hugo doesn't need Augie's money, but rather he needs his name. So yeah. we'll continue to believe that's true. But he's, of course terrified that lavinia is going to find out and of course we know well yeah it's she's going to find out the question is when and and how she's going to react so we'll see but we talked last time that whole explanation that he's employing and housing the touched and acting as if he's doing a good thing and yeah okay whatever but you know the the irony about that when you go back and look at the woman that that you mentioned early in the discussion that gets interrogated by Desiree, the the one that that is basically funneling touched girls and women to Dr. Haig and his experiments, you know, what we find out there. I mean, in a sense, Frank is doing the same thing, albeit on a slightly lower level but still pretty darn bad i mean because he's essentially selling these young women into a type of slavery right now he granted says you could he's argue, done with it though so you know, yeah well okay and and that's fine so what made him change the fact that mary's back that that's what gave him his come to jesus moment i guess you know, you know the other thing is that that little clandestine meeting with hugo we we find out they've been working together but they're both trying to figure out what amalia true's real plan is i guess from hugo's perspective he's afraid that she's going to disrupt his cash cow disrupt Mm -hmm. the the you know the the chain of available workers and other than that, I don't think there's anything nefarious there with Hugo. This is simply, you know, I'm paying them to do a job. End of story. So, right. you know, moral yeah, though and he, ethics aside. Though apparently his workers uh, are still would like, you know, maybe better housing, it seems like, written into their contract. The other one, Lord Masson, who's, again, a fascinating character, and... I'm not sure what we're to make of that scene where he's having a telephone installed in his home. And of course he, he makes that comment. We build homes to keep people out and then build machines to let them in. But is all of that just kind of a, a mask for what that one workman discovers when he goes down into the basement to lay more cable. And he, we, we see that, that cage or you know like a like a prison door although we don't really see what's on the other side his housekeeper comes down oh it's rabid dogs well we see that shadow Mm -hmm. Uh, it's not a rabid dog no so you think it is i think it's his daughter 
Okay, well, you know, you look at the gravestones, and again, mm-hmm. we've talked many times, they, they show us the gravestones, so there better be a reason you showed it to us. I believe that we're led to believe his wife died in childbirth, because I think no. the wife's death date, you don't Dude, think we that's see right. The girl. We, done that we saw the girl. Or was that his niece? We don't, see, I think we said at the time we thought it was his daughter. So why would what have they mentioned anything about his niece? No, I don't know. But so why would be his well, niece. well? Why would he keep his daughter locked up in because the basement? Because she's if, touched. Because she remember okay. we saw the we saw okay. the um the little light things go into her and then she collapsed. Good point. Okay, makes then, makes perfect sense. You know, and I guess we assume that okay. Well, you know, I mean, we, we haven't seen her. Um, we see the gravestones. We say, "Oh, well, I guess she died." And then the mother, I, I, it was definitely the next year. I don't know if it was a year later, but it's the next year. The mother died after the daughter. So you know, my especially you know with I mean, obviously how he feels about the touched, obviously, or about really anything that is you know new or progressive. You know, I I by again theory here could be completely wrong but my theory is that his daughter somehow ended up with abilities and instead of you know instead of um you know embracing it he he locks her up in the basement okay well assuming that's true and and i'm not saying it's not i I think that's a great theory and thank you I, i guess then i think what we have to say is that tells us a lot more about Lord Masson that instead of accessing the help of Penance Adair, Amalia True, Lavinia Bidwell, uh, Bidlow, you, to, to help me learn how to deal with my daughter and give my daughter her best chance at a good life, now instead I'm going to keep her locked in the basement away from everybody. Yeah, I just okay. feel like that's that's the kind of guy he is. Oh, and, and I agree with you. I mean, we certainly see that out of him and his cronies, and we get that brief meeting where, on the surface, it almost sounds like they've made a bad business investment, which may in fact be what it ends up being. But it does seem as if it has something to do with the touched, and that they are pulling the strings on something that's going on here right so what that is yet we we really don't know well Um, one thing is is that a dude who shoots up an opera house gets out of jail free and then ends up killing another person right so who lets him out obviously malady doesn't have that power no Are, are we to believe that malady and lord masson are working together that seems far-fetched as well because it's almost like what bonfire annie said last week i can work with uh, what does she say i can work with stupid but not crazy the, i think the other way around i think uh, yeah okay so um i just can't see him aligning himself with someone who is so unpredictable right but right but you never know they again you never know it might be a, a nice little double loop they're trying to throw at you i mean let's face it there's the only people that well okay i guess we might have like three people that potentially could have gotten that guy out. obviously lord masson without a doubt 
Uh, we have to think that Frank Mundy probably could he wanted to could probably work something out to get a guy sprung from jail. I guess Lavinia Bidlow, right? We have to think just because she's rich that she could probably make that happen. So I guess maybe Augie as a auxiliary kind of um, suspect as well. So I mean, there's not, but there's not a huge list of of people that could make that happen. So, but we know that there's something more at, at, at play here. It's not just, this guy just didn't get out or, and we know, and we know it's not malady, you know, at least where I'm about 95% sure that it's not malady because like you said, she just doesn't, what on earth could she do to get this guy out of jail? Right. She doesn't have that kind of power or, or money or anything. So there, but there's a, a few characters that do. And right. one of them definitely got that guy out of jail and obviously got him out of jail with the expressed desire to, you know, to have Mary killed. And, you know, I mean, the bulk of this episode really does revolve around Amalia True's growing mission and, and you know, different aspects of it. But the, the first scene of that, when we see Bonfire Annie down at the docks and, and basically sending a message to the beggar king that these are my docks now and, and that's that and on the one hand okay well well that's kind of cool and it sets up the little meeting we talked about with amalia and penance and, and of course we learned that the car she set on fire was filled with opium which then gets penance high and and as as they say at the end is there arms around each other we have the best jobs <laughs> and and, it, and even amalia she's ready well maybe let me take a quick uh, sniff yeah here. yeah like, how often are you gonna get a chance to do this right right, right. but but the beauty of it is the way it bookends the episode because that's what, that's how we see bonfire annie at first it's like no i have no interest in joining your little ragtag group and then at the end when they are at their absolute lowest. They're just mm-hmm. trudging back after witnessing Mary being murdered. They probably have no idea what to do next, that that this just may be the end of us. And then there's Bonfire Annie, and, and she uses her turn to light the fact that I've brought reinforcements. I, I've brought people, and you know what? what I've seen today leads me to believe I should be on your side. Yep. Just, just a beautiful moment. I mean, it, it just is. so it's, it's, yeah. heartbreaking, but it's really good. Very, very well done. And reinforces what Amalia basically told him. He's like, yes, I yeah. think your, your basic instinct is, is good. That <laughs> You're a yeah. good person. And even Annie that's like, uh, no, I'm not. So, you know, stop it. You know, uh, because she's, she, she's tough, right? She's tough. She has to, Obviously, um, or not obviously, but it, it seems like she's familiar with the the same world as the Beggar King, and so she has, you know, probably, you know, it's especially on her own because uh, the only her crew is, you know, Malady's crew. So you know, she has probably had to, you know, kind of work her own way and as a, a woman of color, especially in, in London at this time. And uh, in addition to being a touched as well, it's probably been extremely difficult for her. Yeah. And, and again, like I said, I just love the way they, they, they begin and end, you know, this part of the story. 
Um, the other scene that that's really puzzling is when Amalia is getting dressed to go out, and and the doc is examining her. You know, as a result of her getting shot the other day in the factory when she saves Marion and Penance, and you know she's lamenting the fact that she hasn't brought more touched into the fold. And and you know we mentioned that you know, his response earlier that you're a soldier, Penance isn't. But then he starts saying some things about his wife and things that she doesn't know that would hurt her. And at first I was thinking he was saying that, well, she doesn't know I'm touched. She doesn't know I have this gift. But then there's some things that are said that kind of imply that he and Amalia had some sort of a relationship at one time. And and Fred addresses this in his feedback. And she says that she was his mistake. Uh, Again, any insight into what's going on in that I, I mean i think it's pretty clear that that they've slept together okay and, and, and I, certainly regrets it yeah yeah and certainly that's what i thought and um, you know whether or not his wife knows he's touched you know that that may still be unanswered for the viewer but sure i i I, I guess it goes back to what she was saying earlier that that she just makes all sorts of bad decisions about you know men she sleeps with, you know how much she drinks and 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 whatever, and whether she sees herself as his mistake and and the fact that they are still able to work together I, I guess says a lot about the kind of people both of them are and and you know certainly sure. we've seen nothing out of either of them to make us think well, otherwise you know, as she says when he he said you know i've i've should have gotten away or whatever and she's like well you didn't get very far so that you know despite his being full of regret i don't know if full of regret would be the you know, but just certainly regret full that not being full but he he has regrets i should say about you know whatever happened between him and namalia uh but yet he's you know obviously if he really wanted to get away he'd get away right but he's not he's right there he sees her all the time he's helping her he's you know fixing her this 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 desire of his to you know quote quote escape from her is not as powerful as his desire to stay near her right and for all we know their relationship predated his marriage to his wife on the other hand, I think most of us, our wives, don't necessarily want us hanging around our ex-girlfriends all the time. So, no. you know, whether it's uh, one or the other, who knows? But but the well, other it just it I, seems unlikely because I mean, we did see him with his wife and child, actually, which we we don't hear anything about the child. But the first time we see him in episode one, yes, right? We see him and with a family, with a wife and a child. We actually assume that they were. And so I guess I'm assuming here that he only was became involved with Amalia after they were both turned. But that's actually, you know, you're, you're, that's a good point. It's not necessarily the case, though. Well, yeah, the scene that's one of my favorites in this episode is the one where Mary's playing the piano. The girls are singing along with her. Everybody's happy. And then Amalia walks in and suddenly everybody goes silent <laughs> as if you know, we're involved in this big 
war, even though at this point it hasn't become the war it it does by the end of the episode, they understand they're in the middle of this. And it's almost like, wait a minute, we have no right to be happy. We better stop because the boss just walked in. And Amalia understands that's essentially what happened. And and she says something like, well, don't blame it on me that you stop singing. Mm -hmm. You go out and sing. And then we, we get the news that Penance has essentially invented the amplifier right and of course amalia hates uh, i'm sorry penance hates that name thinks it's boring i'm gonna call it the brightener a play on mary's name which (laughs) is great but uh you know it's just you just love it and then um they realize that that they need to do this to get the word out and you know they plan the for the test in the uh park that night but Mary then confronts Amalia about keeping secrets. And, and, you know, we talked a few minutes ago about Mary not being sure that what Amalia is doing for the touched young women is really in their best interest. And, you know, I think as an outsider, we can see that given everything we know, it's the best option at this point for the well, young yeah, women I, to could Amalia be doing better? Could she be more focused? Could she have a plan? Well, yeah. Y- yes to all those things. But, you know, as it is, and if, especially, well, but then we think about Amalia, especially how she gets glimpses of the future and she just kind of has to wait around for it to happen. You know, she, it, it's, it's tough for her to plan things, right? Because she is at the mercy of, of what the, the future has already already holds for her. Well, sure. And as she says, when I meet someone, the first thing I think of is how to kill them. Right. That's kind of a burden to uh, have to shoulder. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, you know, as they go and search for what's behind the, the flyers that have a different address on them. I know we talked about it before, but again, what are these guys that yeah, right. uh, I mean, you know, after they, they take out that one and, and we see, and, and I meant to try to do a screen cap. I'm going to leave that up to you, Fred. Um, <laughs> it almost looks like they are somewhat partially mechanical maybe, or are these early cyborgs of some sort? Yeah, Maybe. Yeah. I mean, they look human, but not, so right well she they you know i guess like you know rip open the mouth or whatever and it's like there seems to be mechanical parts inside there so not entirely uh you know biological yeah so uh and again how many of them are there don't know but again one of the big takeaways is is once they go through that woman's office and they find that photo album which appears to be a record of the young women who are being experimented on by Dr. Haig. Right. And Amalia is collecting all this evidence to show Lavinia. But of course the irony is that Lavinia already knows what's going on. Yes. Because she's supporting Dr. Haig as well. So, you know, we talked about what Mary's going to do. I'm sorry, what Amalia is going to do now that, Mary has been murdered. Will she turn to vengeance? My goodness, what's she going to do when she finds out the truth about Lavinia? Yeah, 
Yeah, that's that. That's going to be a tough pill to swallow. Great scene with the doc. <laughs> um, yeah, I told you I was going to get you a carriage, doc, and and here it is. Uh, uh, but there's a wealthy person inside wants to meet you first, right. and you know this uneasy alliance. You know, in the moment where the doc has something that Malady needs, and, and as she lets him know that that you're not the kind of doctor I'm after. Yeah, because he's well aware of the fact that she's going after psychiatrists or whatever they're called at, at this point. Right, right. Oh, well, and, and with that, the, you know that that big guy who who tells him, "Hey, you just want a carriage." Well, at first, you know, Doctor Cousins looks at him like, "What are you talking about?" And else he's like, "Oh yeah." So, you know, I've I've watched this probably like four times now, and you know, I guess it's like that dude's touch is because the first couple times I, I, I saw it i have to admit i was actually agree with dr cousins at the end like well wait this is my carriage you know like and then I finally like i, I it, it hit me that you know that the guy probably has some kind of ability to to control one's mind or make one believe whatever he says and and so you know dr cousins does believe that it's his carriage and then at the end when um, you know Malady says, "All right, get out," he's like, "This is my carriage," and he's like, "Oh, yeah, okay." You know, like he gets it. I was right there with him, like the fourth time I saw this. I was like, "Oh, now I get it too, finally." So, well, the thing I don't get though, you took the bullet fragment out, you healed the gunshot wound. Couldn't you have uh, done a little bit about whatever's going on around her mouth? Um, I have no idea what what the deal is with that. Yeah, it almost looks like you know somebody that's been drinking caustic liquid or or something. I you know have no idea. It might just but, be part of the 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 whole getup. You know, her whole I, like I disguise. You know, like you know, just like Oliver in Arrow. You know, it's just you know yeah. paint paint some stuff over your eyes and no one knows it's you. Yeah, I guess. Um, but, but we also learned some some more heartbreaking information i I mean lucy who is sort of the house mother back at the orphanage and and we learn that her turn led to her inadvertently killing her her infant child and yeah and 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 again you you certainly can empathize with some of these individuals who who have these turns these powers that you know, the first time, I mean, who who knows, you know, what could happen if you were in closer right. proximity right. to to whoever. Well, like so, the girl who can blow on things and turn them to glass, you know, like how'd right. she, how'd she figure that one out? You know, like. Right. But, but you put that up against the woman that's procuring girls for Dr. Haig and she finds out that her child is touched and her answer to dealing with the fact that, okay, you know, my life just got a little more complicated. How about I make it less complicated by drowning my child? Yeah. And, yeah. you know, it made me think about, you know, all the parents in real life that, that have children with special needs of all sorts and, you know, how their lives have become more complicated and and god bless them for you know just 
forging ahead and doing what's best for their child and nope not with this woman right well she's like and and that's a great point there because she's the unnatural one like she thinks the the touched are unnatural but but she's the unnatural one she killed her own child how monstrous is that and and she is a monster so all the people who claim that the touched are evil or bad or you know horrible or monsters or whatever like it's really just these regular people that are the 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 real monsters or you know a guy like lord masson or hugo swan right i mean the monsters aren't the people with you know supernatural abilities the monsters are are just regular people um well speaking of regular people i i think that's not at all what odium is and we get that great fight no. scene in the water and i don't know if you watched the uh, after show uh, with that episode where they talk about how they filmed that that sequence but it was pretty fascinating but it, it for me it was sort of a callback to malia's attempt at suicide by jumping into the river sure. she's now got to fight for her life against odium who it seems can walk on water, but we, you know, we learned that it's, it's, it's really a lot more than that. It's that, that, you know, he can't, he, he can't penetrate water, you know, so that, that it just like repels when he comes, you know, close by. But once again, she loses her outer garment, which distracts him, right? chokes him with the chain and his turn sort of proves to be part of his undoing since he can't sure. go into the water. Yep. So it provides even uh, more force for her to choke him. And is he dead or just unconscious? I mean, I feel like it would be difficult to survive that. It seemed like he got choked out pretty good. So yeah, uh, I, so, I'm, I'm going for no longer among us. Okay. But um, but yeah, I mean, amazing fight scene, absolutely. And you're right; he just doesn't seem like the the sharpest tool in the shed, because his method of trying to to kill. I think he actually at first, yeah, he was on a pretty good idea. I just walk around the water whenever she tries to pop up. I just knock her back down, and you know, yeah, yeah. That seems like a solid like plan. Ultimately, she's going to drown, right? If you don't let her up. But instead, he goes for trying to like you know hook her with this big chain, and like that just that's just not a, a great idea at all. I mean, the properties of water make it so difficult to do that, and of course, uh, his uh, his not great plan gets totally turned around on him. And Amalia, who is a thinker and as well as a fighter, and fights with her brain as well as her as her body, is able to defeat him because she you know thought it out. She came up with a a clever solution to a problem. Well, that all leads up to the scene in the park because, you know, once she disposes of Odium, she grabs one of the horses and rides to the park. Now, I guess her driver was one of those robot guys that we talked about, um, you know, a couple episodes back and she left one horse behind again, whatever, but they get to the park and this probably, uh, dates me to a certain extent but but back pink floyd in the 70s you know i saw a show when they were doing dark side of the moon 
and they basically had a quadraphonic sound system. There were mountains of speakers behind the audience, to the left, to the right, and in front of house. And it almost reminded me of of that as they showed the setup there. I think there were only three amplifiers, but you know, multiple microphones. Just mm-hmm. uh, again, just so ahead of her time. I, I would certainly think. Well, sure. Well, there is no such thing as an amplifier, but yeah, right. But, I think uh, I don't know who. Oh, I, I think the the letter we, the email we got mentioned like how you know maybe she she could work on the electric guitar and bass next. That that would be yeah, that'd be great. Um, and then of course the shots ring out, and from a special effects standpoint, you know it was it was really well done because it just it just rips you apart to to watch the first bullet is bad enough and, and then you realize it's the guy with the little mini gatling gun on his forearm that is uh you know behind all of this frank gets Dude, the guy I hate he, that guy well yeah frank gets shot and he, he gets him through the eye yeah. again we'll assume that guy's dead as well yeah but, that's slightly satisfying but yeah. but still at the end you're like you know i feel like maybe if they captured him if they could like say what are you doing out of jail you yeah know, i like mean that. i guess you have to be in the moment in well, retrospect well, yeah. I, I, obviously yeah yeah I, I, um, I, I, at that moment I, I was much happier to see him get shot in the face yeah no question um and then of course we get that final scene where the shell shock troops are, are going back to the orphanage and 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 he shows up with reinforcements. And again, we don't need to talk about it again. We talked about it a while ago. It's just just a wonderful scene that that just just speaks to the hope that that these women need at this point. You know, that out of the despair of the moment, that that there is still hope. And you know, we'll see. I I really you know you get to the end of these episodes. You you know you take your notes for the podcast. And for me, I almost don't want to watch the next episode yet because I, I got I want to talk about this one. I don't want to be influenced. So uh-huh. I've been I've been really good. I'll, I'll say I still haven't seen the next episode yet. Cool. But dude, it's it's uh, you know yeah, it's high on the list. Um, all right, anything else we haven't talked about? You want to bring up? Um, there is something I'll bring up after we read uh, Maureen's uh, email. So I think. Maybe I'll leave it for that, though I should just kind of like do a little quick run through my notes just to make sure. Yeah, because it's like you've never stopped me before once we start moving <laughs> right, on. Right. Then- well, just, you know, with we didn't talk a lot about the, the Beggar King. And, I, and you know, obviously he's very unhappy with his his troops here. But it's just so, I mean, like Nick Frost is awesome. It's just such a bummer that his character is just not funny at all. You just want him to be goofy Nick Frost, but he's not. He's, he's this hard, tough guy. And it's, I have to admit, it's hard for me to see Nick Frost as a tough guy. You know, I mean, he does a pretty good job of it. I'm not going to lie. But it's still difficult for me because I just see him as goofy like Ed in, you know, in, in Shaun of the Dead or, or Santa Claus in, in Doctor Who. So, all right. Anything else? Well, Hugo, I mean, I, I've, you know, haven't. Actually, there's this this kind of uh, there is this Marxist strain that's going through. I think I, maybe I mentioned this last week. I can't, but that's going through this show. And obviously, we see the the men going on strike, and then 
Masson coming in and intimidating them and breaking the strike and, of course, saying, you know, if you want – I thought English men were, you know, more courageous than this. Come talk to me on your own like a man. Like, well, what's going to happen if they talk to you on their own, buddy? Well, you're just going to fire him on his own. Like the only power they have is in collectiveness. You know, so we see the, the, the obviously class struggles here and – you know the, this openly blatant uh, the workers versus the uh, the boss, and we see it also with with Swan as well. You know, even though he he obviously he's paying his uh, troops and probably his the the people who work for him probably not paying him so well because he's giving himself a nice fat salary and uh, for Augie as well. But again, we see these you know the, these wealthy white guys who are and to, to with Lavinia as well you know we see the, these white people of wealth who are controlling others even if they don't necessarily realize it and, and you know it's one of those things that i really love about joss whedon and most of his work particularly his television work is that the shows are so rich in subtext in metaphor symbolism and that that you know you mentioned that you've maybe seen it at least four times i've i've seen it three times i feel like i need to watch it again because there's things i'm missing as maureen's gonna point out in in, in her feedback so again the mark of a great show and and you know it's just a shame there aren't more of them out there i mean we certainly got spoiled by dark you know, I, I feel like the Nevers is, you know, it's, it's, it's a different kind of, you know, multi-textured, multi-layered show. It's not dark, of course, but there's a lot here. There is a lot there. Yeah, absolutely. I like it a lot. Yeah. So, so much right, so that I'm really not watching anything else. I'm just watching the Nevers like a million times a week. <laughs> All right. You ready to go to the feedback? Sure. Okay. All right. So Maureen hit us up via email and she says hi guys so glad you're covering the nevers sorry it's after i watched all six episodes and was looking for a podcast but i have to admit how much fun it is to witness you guys figuring things out since i found myself similarly challenged i think that's one of the the great things about watching a show like with my wife for instance some of these shows that i i've seen it i get her to watch it and and see how she reacts to to things so yeah i perfectly understand that a few things to keep in mind as you navigate and i promise i won't spoil anything there are a few things i can clarify to stop you from chasing things but we like chasing things we do that (laughs) ripple of malady jumping up on the opera box impacted me the same as you and after six episodes still no answer or reference what that was Every ripple is consistent through remaining episodes except that one. You know, I wonder if it has to do somehow with their past. I don't know how to explain it, but. Or it could be they messed up. It could be that exactly, like the (laughs) calendar in dark. Right. Malady's endgame isn't clear, but in the first episode, you miss some things that are all there. Malady's killed five men leading up to the opera. Uh, first newsboy comparing to Ripper. Malady's victims are men of standing, not touched. All doctors and specifically psychoanalysts. 
she mentions a discussion with Masson and his cronies and the headlines in front mm-hmm. of Masson. Malady's at the opera to kill a doctor of psychiatry that Lavinia is speaking with before the opera starts. He's the first person shot by her gunman, and Malady calls the doctors angels and mentions she's there to kill him, but's now thinking maybe she was at the opera for something else. Amalia touches on maladies targeting doctors and religious fear with Mundy. And, you know, when, when she refers to them as angels, the first thing that, that struck me at the time and continues to strike me is the whole idea of them in white coats and that right. in her state of mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, she, she sees them as angels. Now, she says, check out Primrose's truck in front of Lavinia's. This production covers every detail. I'm not sure what you mean by that. And I guess I'll have to go back and look at it again. Well, when so. they, I didn't go back and look at it either, but I know when they went to Lavinia's, uh, Penance drove the car, but the others uh, went in a, I guess, a truck carriage. I mean, not a truck truck like we know, I guess a, mm. a big carriage, I think. Okay. On your second viewing, really focus on language. There are many things the dialogue tells us without realizing, specifically how Amalia refers to herself. She tells us who she is multiple times, and it's easy to miss. Yeah, so so that's what I I mentioned at the end of last week's podcast when she says, I'm not from around here, right? As she frustratingly looks at the maps. I'm like, well, wait, where are you from then? Because I thought you were... Like like a baker from, I assume she was from London. Uh, and, and then th- that by itself, no biggie. But then she says, this is, the big one obviously is this is not my face. Um, and, you know, at first, I guess I probably assumed she was just saying that just to mess with the, the beggar king. But now that maybe bears, especially with Maureen's suggestion that there's something more to her. You know, I started thinking how she says, you invented the amplifier. It's like, well, well, wait a second. Hold on. How'd you know that's what it was called? And then uh, what else? When the, Mary's playing the song and uh, Amalia goes, like she says, well, well, why don't you sing something? And she's like, well, you wouldn't know any of the songs that, that I know. So I'm not sure what it all means, but I know like we, you know, we saw the little things of light go into the people's skins. And, and while, of course, this is, obviously these things of light in some way caused them to, you know, all the touch to be enhanced. It's only really Amalia that there's something different about her, not just because we were even wondering what's her, well, I mean, obviously her enhancement is that she can, every now and then she sees the future, right? So, you know, I don't know, like how far forward can that ability make her jump? You know, can she see the, like the distant future now or something like that. Come on. I know you're reluctant to say it, so I'll just say it. Okay. Um, Amalia True is from the future. Oh, okay. Yeah, that could be it too. <laughs> now, now, Maureen's like got her hands over her eyes like, you guys are missing the point. Anyway, um, I'm pretty sure the glasses were to protect Amalia's eyes from Penance's blinders because in the first episode, Amalia had to cover her eyes when they used uh, the glasses and she has to get her fists ready. Uh, A follow question that hasn't been answered yet. Do you think Mary's song lit up the pod or the pod lighting up caused Mary's song? 
Dr. Haig said something to the effect that it has been dark until the last few days. And yes, I caught what Dr. Haig said, but I didn't make that connection. Makes perfect sense that her song somehow is connected to to the pod. And 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 again, I love the identifier for calling it a pod. I didn't. I was calling it a big blue ball last time. Mm-hmm. There are two speculation discussions I wish I could have had with a podcast while watching this show. One, how someone's turn relates to character who has turned, as you have discussed. Penance's mechanical inventor skills were enhanced. Augie's passionate about birds. So, does Primrose think big or want to be noticed? I think Harriet's may be related to her always searching for clarity. I love that idea. I love that. I do. I like that. It's good. Yeah. Which then supports my feeling that Amalia's from the future. What other things do we want Penance to invent before it's time? Right now, I'm thinking electric guitar and bass, rock music can't come too soon. And dude, I'm, I'm, you know, the whole, you know, you mentioning, and I, I caught it at the time, you know, there's nothing, you know, you don't know any songs that I would want to hear or that anything that I know. Yeah, I, that's a good question. I mean, I feel like she's already inventing things that, that are before her time. Sure. But um, or, or certainly taking things like while automobiles were around at yeah. this point. I, I Not think electric her, cars, though. Right. And her innovations are certainly far ahead of her time. But so glad to found you with the pandemic. I was listening to fewer podcasts. P.S. You might want to check out, but I think Shadow and Bone's been canceled on Netflix. So just one season. Uh, mentions that there's a Hugo Swan scene coming up involving cheese. That's hilarious. Uh, Whedon seems to like scenes with cheese. Um, and there's, yeah, she met just the Buffy cheese guy. So uh, anyway, Maureen, thank you so much. Great stuff. And, uh, you know, keep them coming. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thank you. Uh, some good stuff there. And uh, remind me to talk about things that we talked about last week. Yeah. All right, well, let's hear what Fred's got for us. And we'll be right back. Hello Dave and Wayne and all listeners to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for The Nevers, Season 1, Episode 3. About last week's podcast, I won't react to the fact that Wayne mentioned Hemlock Grove and Dave even repeated it. I will repeat, however, a question I asked last week. What do you think of genre shows in nowadays Emmy Awards and Canadian Screen Awards, etc., etc.? Because you were telling in 2014 that you were disappointed that not so many genre shows got nominations. Did that really become better in the meanwhile? I have the impression, yes. In the category, what am I watching, or actually what am I not watching anymore, that's Birds of Prey, because I finished that series, 13 episodes, and I really recommend it. Of course, it's a series from a little less than 20 years ago, but you podcasted it about in 2014. And if you like Ashley Scott or very young Rachel Scarston, you really could watch it. For people who don't know it, it's a Batman follow-up series, or actually a Batgirl follow-up series. And it has a okay ending, so not a terrible cliffhanger. Last week I was a little bit complaining about the fact that you also discussed four other series in those podcasts, and that took half, more or less, or two-thirds of the podcast. 
Now you were talking about the leftovers. You were talking about Falling Sky series I didn't watch. But you did talk about Defiance again and also Extant. And that are actually two series I got stuck in. So perhaps your discussions there do motivate me to pick up those series again. So perhaps not such a bad idea after all to talk about other series. But before I can start... I first have to finish my rewatch of Firefly and the second season of Dark Angel. Okay, going into Denevers episode 3. I'm very impressed by this episode again, so I will give it a straight A, just as I did for the first and second episode, although a little bit for other reasons. I was very impressed by the fight scene of Amalia with this very big guy. Initially, I wondered if that big guy was just big, because he is one of the Beggar King's guys. Whether he was touched, but now we see him walk over the water. So he is also a touched guy, but then serving the Beggar King. I'm very impressed how they made this scene look like realistic And with so much action as well. Also very impressive was the story of the woman that got the touched girls for the doctor and indirectly also for Lavinia Bidlow. The story that she told about her daughter being touched and being able to change all liquids into water. And by that way being a very good purifier. Very useful, especially in those days. And then she drowned her because she could not cope with having a touched daughter and she wanted to free the daughter of this burden. Really, really awful story and really very well acted. Also, by the way, by the actresses that play the people that were standing around her and listened to this story, all their facial expressions, etc., The orphanage and the touched women are threatened by several factions, I think, and it's not completely clear which factions that are. The attack by the big guy on Amalia's coach and on Amalia, that is, I think, quite clear, because the beggar king is quite annoyed by Amalia undermining his authority. One big question I have, why Mary should be murdered and by whom? Well, it's of course clear that it's this gun guy. I thought that gun guy was working with Melody and is then really Melody behind this. Next question of course is, is the gun guy dead by a shot of Frank Mundy? And is Mary really dead or can Dr. Cousins do something? When we see the very sad end scene we have the idea that she is dead. Talking about Dr. Cousins, what is the thing between Amalia and him? They have some kind of history. And we, of course, all expect there is perhaps some romantic history, partly because he also says that his wife would be devastated by it, and they are talking about that he should get away from Amalia, and he didn't succeed in that. But I think that will have a twist, and it will be something else. Then they are also talking about opium and addiction, and that Amalia should get penance away there, I really hope this story won't go into that direction of addiction, etc. Because I'm already fed up with beforeoner addiction stories. The story didn't bring us further in what the Doctor and Lavinia are doing down there in these tunnels. Having that glowing thing, which has probably something to do with the airship we saw. 
And big question is, what does he let the people do down there? Because in the previous episode, we saw this touched Italian girl being numb and being a kind of slave. Perhaps he did a kind of lobectomy on them and took a part of their brain out. Partly to research their brains, but also perhaps making them slaves. Okay, time's up. Greetings. Till next time. Fred from the Netherlands. You know, Fred mentions, and and this is cool because Fred's listening to some of the podcasts we did several years ago because he's watching shows like Birds of Prey. And he came across a discussion where we were talking about genre shows not getting recognized by award shows. And, And Fred, I guess it's something that I've learned to live with that I understand that no matter how good these shows are, that they're not in the political mainstream of these award groups. And, and it's just something I'm just going to have to live with. And, and, you know, I, I think you and I may have even talked, uh, Fred, that is, uh, about Orphan Black and, you know, the, the fact that she was, n- well, I guess eventually she was recognized, you know, for her role, but, uh, you know, portraying, how many characters? Six, seven, eight. Right, right. Male, female. Ugh. Anyway, definitely agree about the woman who funnels women to the doctor. And, and it's just a terrible story, but so well executed. Um, again, I think one of the things, the writing is so good in The Nevers, but to then take the script and execute it the way they, they do each week is just remarkable, and, and this episode right. in particular had several really heartbreaking scenes that are just yeah. done well, so it, well. And with that, you know, I mean, Lucy pulls the hands out, right? She takes off; she literally takes off the gloves, and yeah. is going after the lady. And if, when at first, I mean, we, we've seen what she could do before. I mean, as we saw at the party, we saw her like kind of breaking things up, and they said how they wanted her to see if she could break up a, a statue. Um, but you know, we get it, you know, I mean, she pulls those hands out. She's, she's, she had lethal intent there. And of course we, we, obviously we talked about, it's clear why, um, you know, Fred mentions Amalia's relationship with Dr. Cousins and, and what's going on there. The other thing though, it almost seems as if the implication is that the three of them, Malady, Amalia and Dr. Cousins had some sort of a relationship, not necessarily a, a romantic, sexual, anything like that, but just that they were in the same world. And, and Malady even mentions the fact that that she's, she knows Dr. Cousins, and she also knows he was not one of the doctors who was harming the patients, which is you know basically why she doesn't kill him, I guess. Whether he was brought in to treat their bodies at whatever asylum they were being held in that maybe is the case but uh yeah anyway uh anything else about fred's feedback you want to touch on no i think we're good okay all right fred thank you so all of you you know certainly hit us up with feedback as we tell you each week it's sci-fi tv rewatch at gmail.com and you know we'd love to hear what you're thinking but uh you know i, I i'm loath to give it an a but I want to give it an A. I don't, yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, I'm just I'm gonna I'm gonna lowball it. I'm gonna stick with the A minus. You know, okay. I I liked it 
a lot. I mean, especially after talking about it, I would be probably more inclined to go A after we talked about it. But I settled in. I'm, I'm saving the A for, you know, more... I don't know. I mean, it was. I, I can't say that there's anything that would cause me to grade it down, except for Fred. Crazily enough, now is grading everything up. So I feel like someone here has got to be, you know, hold the hard line on this. So if it's not going to be Fred, it's got to be me. Yeah. Okay. Well, Fred, I, I guess you and I are going to have to uh, do some convincing with. Uh, <laughs> the big guy over there all right anyway uh all right well let's go ahead and leave it there that will do it for this episode of sci-fi tv rewatch want to thank you for joining us love to hear what you think about the nevers anything going on in your genre world as we said sci-fi tv rewatch at gmail.com is the way you can reach us via email join the facebook group if you haven't already We'll be back next week to talk about episode four of the HBO Max series, The Nevers. But until then, you know, I, usually we read all the feedback we get. And I think even though this one wasn't the most flattering, I think we still should have read it. Because, you know, I mean, they, they mentioned a bunch of stuff, but this one phrase sticks out at me when it says, I will burn us all to death if I have to hear you bicker. <laughs> <laughs>